BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, we got Hal Sparks in the green room right now. But first, if you're interested in listening to all the things that we have to offer on our Patreon page, Here's how you can do it. For just $15 a month at patreon.com slash Show, you can get the ultimate edition of the podcast, and it's entirely commercial-free. The ultimate edition includes the shadow docket at the end, exactly how it's recorded every Tuesday and Thursday. Plus, you get the exclusive Friday after party with me and Kimberly, and you can download the free app and participate in the new chat room feature and a whole lot more all for just $15 a month. It's everything that we have to offer on the Patreon page, bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Hello, Seska. You're looking radiantly maternal. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, January 24, 2024, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Little Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 1099 of the Biden-Harris administration, 286 days into the 24 presidential election. You can find me on threads and Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore go, Patreon, BobSeskaShow.com. All right, it's Hal Sparks Day again on the show, and you're going to want to clear your schedule for this one. We connected online and just started talking. No agenda, no prepared questions, just me and Hal talking about his childhood, what fuels his energy, behind-the-scenes look at his mega-worldwide streaming shows, plus Trump's short circuits, the 2024 election, and a bunch of stuff I can't even recall because we talked about so many things. As your attorney, I advise you to watch Mega Worldwide, infotainmentwars.com, link in the description. It's one of the greatest politics shows anywhere you should be watching. Meantime, don't forget to support this podcast by subscribing to us on Patreon, bobseskashow.com. Okay, here comes my talk with the great Hal Sparks. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. I'll have you know, I brewed an entirely new pot of coffee just for this talk. I don't know if you're... I a, think you might need it. <laughs> I don't know if you're a caffeine achiever like I am, but... I just landed uh, at uh, 8.30 this morning because I flew in. Uh, I went to... I did the jam last night in L.A., and then I flew back in this morning. I just turned right around and <laughs> came back so I could do my show in the morning because it's, it's just... That's my life these days. Man, oh and man. Uh, so I was mm. up at... You know, I went to bed at 1.20 and woke up at five something like that so yes how the hell do you do it i mean do you prepare in some way to have this yeah. level of activity i yeah there's a couple of things i mean i think uh e eating right and 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 choosing when you're um 
when to use your stimulants in terms of caffeine yeah, is yeah. crucial. Yeah. So um, I'm not the greatest at it, but I, you know, I try to pare it down in the afternoon and I'm doing, you know, since I do my afternoon show, I have to like ebb and flow my energy mm. over the course of the day that I'm, you know, especially on two, two shows a day, but you know, like you got to be very energetic in the morning and very energetic right in the afternoon, right about the time people are starting to like slag at work and fall asleep <laughs> at their desk. Right. And uh, yeah, that's the perfect yeah. window for you to be wide awake. So it's, and, and still have to be able to go to fucking sleep at night. You know, that's the thing. Is there ever an occasion where you're about to do one of the mega worldwide shows and you're like, yes, fuck, I don't have the energy for this today. I just, I can't fucking do it. There's, you know, there are a couple of times where I get aggravated because my, it, uh, I feel like the lies don't change sometimes. And I feel like <laughs> I already debunked this shit. Can we move on to the next lie, please? You have to yeah. cover the same stupid lie. Yeah. Um. Right. And that, you know, I wish it, they were more original in their bullshit because mm -hmm. that would help me. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, and there are definitely days when I'm exhausted because I've had other stuff to do, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. Doing stand like this, this Friday, I'll do two shows and then I'll do stand up that night at flappers. And then the next morning I got to get up at seven and prep for radio at nine. Wow. Um, and so like Saturday afternoon comes and I'm basically comatose Yeah. for, you know, and I'm just like, and and I it aggravates me. I'll tell you what aggravates me more than anything. Else. <laughs> it's the fucking I want to get. I have other shit to do. I have I want to clean up my office and my room and my desk, and I want to organize things and get mm -hmm. you know because over the course of the sh doing the show, I pull like weird props from my childhood out of nowhere or make reference points <laughs> to stuff or I'm yes. whatever. And I'm I also have weird hobbies. Like I have a 3D printer and a laser mm. engraver and, and like I, I watch, I secretly watch like uh, vacuum, uh, plastic vacuum forming videos online going, I want a vacuum former so bad so that I could just make plastic shit yeah. that looks like stuff I already have. Like it's the dumbest thing, but it's that I, I'm a very hands-on person. So I like to, I made my own props for my sketch group. I do all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I made props for lab rats. I designed them in a 3D program and they printed them out. So I love doing Jesus, that stuff. Yeah. I have no time to do it right now because I'm my show schedule is so enormous. Yeah, yeah. Is there something that happened in your life at some point, Hal, where it was like affirming of seizing the day, like something that drove this kind of carpe diem attitude? I mean, maybe some sort of brush with a, a health issue or something like that? Or is it just natural oh. to your personality? It's just, it's just how you operate. Oh my God. Well, growing up in Kentucky, I, I was never short of life threatening situations <laughs> that, you know, remind you of your mortality. That was, that was a constant. Um, yeah. I, you know, um, I, hmm. Yes and no. I mean, I've always yeah. been, if I love something, I just dive into it mm -hmm. because I don't give a shit that anybody else doesn't like. And here's the thing. I want other people. I have this kind of burning desire for other people mm -hmm. to recognize <clears throat> that they can have stuff they can enjoy in their lives. And it doesn't have to be a profession. It could just be the love of music or the love of, oh, yeah. you know, artistry or whatever it is, or your what, math, whatever that thing is, because I'm <laughs> fascinated by people is. who are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I'm, fa I'm fascinated by people who are good at stuff. Uh -huh. I think it's very impressive because I'm aware of the skill and I, you know, I grew up with, you know, my dad's a bluegrass musician and my, and he's an architect and my mom's a nurse. And both of them 
both of their jobs and their hobbies require a lot of skill and study mm-hmm. there. And, and, and a lot of times, both in my dad and my mom, lives are on the line. If my dad makes a major engineering mistake, a house could collapse or a building could collapse. Yeah. If my mom, you know, reads a chart wrong, somebody could die. So both of them are on it all the time. And that's just what I grew up around. Yeah. Were you kind of active like this as a kid? I mean, were, did you have all kinds of things that you were interested in as a kid? And, you, and your parents, were they supportive of all that? Or did they Maybe. kind of try to guide you in a certain was, direction? Everything was just out of reach. Yeah. And being yeah. in Peaks Mill, Kentucky, I would go to the movies and I would sit there watching the movies and I would go, "That's everything is so fucking far away. I'm mm. where I am. And yeah. so the strive to just get the shit out of there mm-hmm. and find my way to where I could do something. <laughs> Learn the ways of the force and become a Jedi like your father. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do that. Uh, you know, uh-huh. that's your uncle talking. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm so, too old for that now. Um, so, I yeah, so uh, there are a couple, there was a, there was an impetus. Yeah. For when I moved from Kentucky to Chicago, where it was like the last straw. Uh-huh. And it was a very emotional moment. I okay, my aunt, um, uh, rest her soul. This is uh, you, this is your whole uh, your whole family moved from Kentucky to Chicago, or just you? No, after... my parents split. Okay, and my and my dad moved first to Florida, where I would go visit him for summers. Uh-huh. You know, and that would be the the custody you know time with my dad would be over the summer, and then uh, he moved to Chicago and and made this kind of offer later. Like, if you want to come up here and go to school, because I was fighting a lot and I was kind of a, you know, a bit of an angry kid Hmm. because I was just being spoiled where I was there. Not in a, not in a getting more than you want, but just like rotting on a fucking vine. Yeah. And I, anyways, I got, I I got a, it was, my school took a trip to France. My, my, uh, my French class in high school in Kentucky was, there was one of these like school trips where they take the entire class to France or whatever. It was like. Hmm. It was like 2,500 bucks. It was like no fucking way, you know, we would be able to afford it. But all the other kids in the class were going in. But they had this thing where three kids, if they had really good grades, could get scholarships to go. And because my aunt spoke French, my French was already pretty good. So it was one of the few classes I was getting an A in. And they basically, you could go for half price. Mm. Effectively got this scholarship to go half price. And my grandparents ponied up the money and allowed me to go on this trip. And it was like $1,200. It was a huge deal. And we went, I went to Paris and Nice and Nimes and Avignon and Versailles. And then we went to Monaco. And I mean, it was just mind blowing, but we went to Monaco. And Monaco to me, the only time I'd ever seen Monaco was in a fucking Bond film, right? (laughs) That you would see him rolling up at a casino in these fucking, you know, in an Aston Martin. And mm. in, in as far as you could see, it's just Maseratis and Rolls Royces and whatever. And cobblestone streets and all stuff. And, and there, and all of a sudden I was there. And we, we had this, I don't know, because I guess Europe doesn't have serial killers. They were like, okay, you kids run around for two hours and meet us back here. <laughs> yeah. And they did. Yeah. And everybody just bugged out and bought stuff and ran around. And I was so overwhelmed. By just being there, like look at the fucking money and the buildings and the life. Yes, yeah, sensory people- bombardment. Yeah. Oh my god! And I, I had a pair of jeans. <laughs> I had a pair of jeans for the whole trip. 
because <laughs> I only had two pairs of jeans and one of them had to stay home so that if anything happened to these, I still have a <laughs> pair of jeans. And, backups. And I'm looking at these fucking people walking around in their, uh, like, in their lives and I sat down at the edge of this big like courtyard garden place on the steps and I bawled wow. for an hour, just wept hard because I knew I could never go back. I could never oh. go back to Kentucky and just live that way. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. And so when I got back on that trip and I knew I'd have to leave my mom and go live with my dad and my dad and I had, you know, son, dad relationship at that time. Mm -hmm. um, that window teen I years, always rough. Yep. And, and my, and I was really close to my mom. I would have rather stayed with her, but if I, I just knew that if I stayed in Kentucky, I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> and so I, you know, my parents didn't put that on me. I made that decision at 14. Yeah. And, I, and after that, everything else was kind of easy. Like I, I'm hmm. like, do you, and every, everybody I encountered at new Trier at my high school there, or even when I moved out to LA who were trying to be an actor or whatever. And they're like, God, this is hard. I'm like, you guys hard. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I had to shit in the Creek when we ran out of water. Wow. Like, you don't know what fucking hard is. I powdered potato flakes that we got from government assistance because we ran out of water and I couldn't, uh, it was either cook them with Creek water or eat them dry. I don't, Oh my these God. aren't problems. Yeah. Right? These are. And so in my life, I think what it is, is that all the stuff that people are like, Oh, this is hard. This is tough. Doing this is difficult. I'm like, by comparison, mm -hmm. this ain't shit. And so I'd rather just go for what I want. And, 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 you know, and I guess I was, I guess I shrugged off what's supposed to be difficult because by comparison, it just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's really, really super insightful because I find myself in that trap where I, I got to mm -hmm. go do a, a podcast and it's time to record. And I, you know, right. I'm exhausted with politics or something. Uh, Donald Trump's really sure. super annoying that day. And I just don't want to dive yeah. in. And then I realize, holy fucking shit. I get to sit here in my room, in my underwear, talking into right. a microphone for a living. What the fuck am I complaining about? This is right, amazing. Right. I, you know, right, look. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm exactly. sure you have the same uh, attitude, obviously, because, you know, one of the things I noticed and one of the reasons why I've, I've kind of gone down this uh, this path with you today is mm -hmm. you went right from doing mega worldwide seconds before you joined me here on this show and after right. i'm done doing my show which is about a third of the length of one of your shows <laughs> right. i'm just i'm ready to take a nap yeah and you just <laughs> you're jumping into another interview it's just it's amazing to me your your energy and enthusiasm yeah. and your embracing of this series of professions that you're engaged in is mm -hmm. really truly inspiring and it's one of those things that oh, i'm constantly you know and sometimes we, we end up in this mode hal sometimes when mm -hmm. you're on the show and i just yeah. have to tell you how inspiring you are because uh when i'm not watching your shows i find myself getting cynical and dark and angry and then i go back and i watch mega worldwide and i'm like uh -huh. oh thank god you know what I mean? And I'm That's sure great. I'm not the only one. Yeah, no, I I, yeah, I get that these days uh, more and more, mm -hmm. as, especially as the show grows. Yeah. You know, and that's, and the funny part is, is uh, okay, I grew up a huge Kiss fan. So I, I bought my first Kiss record when I was five years old with my own money. I saved up $7 and I bought a copy of Kiss the Originals, which was the first three albums uh -huh. all in one chunk that Casablanca had put out. And I bought it at a flea market in Friendship, Indiana. 
Wow. And um and I I would stare at the cover of it, like the makeup that they were wearing and the artwork and the inside of it, which had a couple of tour pictures. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, this is this exists, you know. <laughs> and then <laughs> right. I saw my first interview with Paul Stanley. And he was just, uh, whose birthday was just last uh, Saturday. And he was just all about the the fans. The, you know, the, the, we, it's the fans. We got to, you know, um, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fans. And he means it. You know, mm-hmm. everybody who says that now says it because Paul Stanley started saying it in the 70s. Nobody thought that way. Fucking Led Zeppelin didn't think that way. The Stones yeah. didn't think that way. They just didn't. They just did their thing. And as a matter of fact, if they wanted to dick around in the studio and write songs for their own navel, they just did. Because who the fuck are you as a fan to tell you tell me what I'm supposed to do? Mm-hmm. But Kiss was about the show. And there was a part of that that always kind of was ingrained in me. Like, I really, as a fan, I appreciated it. I didn't know I wanted to be a stand-up. I just knew I liked being funny and that until I got to Chicago. And I didn't realize it was even a possibility. I thought... Like comedians on the albums that I listened to mm-hmm. were like they didn't get paid for it. Somebody just had a mic going. Yeah. Like I didn't understand it was a job, right? <laughs> right. But in right? But in Chicago, and this is one of the this is the best gift Chicago gave me, mm. is that art in Chicago is a fucking blue collar ladder. No bullshit. Nobody gets discovered in Chicago. You just work. You just do the shit gig to the medium not so shit gig to the slightly less shit gig to the good gig to the uh, slightly above good but not great to the medium p- approaching great but not the ba- a good part in a great thing that's mm-hmm. not so good, yeah. you know. And then you hit that, and and it's a ladder. It's expected, right? Mm-hmm. There's no magic. It's they, nobody taps you on the shoulder and goes, "You got moxie, kid." You just get at it, right? <laughs> yeah. And so when I realized. I, I was like, oh, stand-up, how do you do that? And they're like, oh, you just, you do open mics and then you host. And then uh, when you host, you can feature. And then when you feature, you can tour on your feature opening for other people. And then you can headline at home and then you can headline on the road. And that's how it's done. I was like, oh, all right, I can do that. Oh, yeah. And I just started when I was 15. Wow. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Do you identify as a comedian first and foremost, or do you just identify as someone who has that bon vivant lust for creative <laughs> uh, yes. endeavors? It's the just like music, David Lee Roth comedy, that's always inter- bur- bursting yeah. to get out yeah, in whatever exactly. venues right. in front of me. Right, right, right. right. That's no, exactly uh, it. I'll, uh, all right. Um, I'm a purist on this particular topic. Mm-hmm. So I don't act. I'm an actor. Yeah. I don't do stand-up, com- stand-up comedy. I'm a comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a stand-up. Yeah. I don't play music. I'm a musician. I don't sing. I'm a singer. And it's part of each one of those things has a very distinct aspect to it that makes it a, a worthwhile identity. And it requires mm-hmm. a, a, a certain amount of professionalism, purpose, and an attitude around it. Um, because a, somebody who sings doesn't do daily warmups. They don't have to improve their thing. You know, again, any amateur can do anything a professional can do. The only thing is the professional could do it again tomorrow. Yeah. That that's all there is to it. And so to me, and maybe this is my dad being a bluegrass musician and these fuckers can play, not just strum a guitar and play folk songs. These guys are flat pickers. They're fucking geniuses mm-hmm. um, that are around my dad growing up is that if you're going to pick it up, do it. If you're going to, as, as Mel Gibson, there, Mel Gibson, listen to me. Mel Brooks said, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah as, as Mel Gibson said, the Jews, I blame the Jews, <laughs> right, which is, 
I, you'd think he'd be having more of a heyday right now. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. talk about a guy who's missing his comeback window. <laughs> with, no shit. How do you not get a Mel Gibson movie greenlit in the mi- in the middle of the worst waves of anti-Semitism in, in America since the 30s? Anyways, so yeah. Mel Brooks says, if you're going to walk up to the bell, ring the bell. Mm-hmm. And he he this when he said it, it was in reference to if you're gonna don't edge around a joke, tell a fucking joke. Don't be scared. Just if you know it's funny, do the funny thing. Own it. And if yeah, if, yeah own it. And um and I I love that in terms of everything. So if I was gonna start a streaming show, like when this happened, you know, I started my show because of lockdown, because of COVID. Yeah. And I was like, all my stand-up shows vanished, all live performances out the fucking window. God knows when the next production on television shows will start. And then what happens? Then it, not only will TV be years from coming back, you know, and really turning into a multi-season kind of shit where you're doing 20 episodes like we had before. But on top of that, I don't necessarily know that I'm going to want to sign on to a seven-year contract with any of these fucking shows. It's a, I've been through that before. You know, I'm, I'm going to take it easy. I'm in no rush. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting there watching, you know, as this is happening, going, all right, but I got a kid. And I got bills to pay, and I also think I can help. Yeah. So um, hmm. it originally, you know, House Parks Mega Worldwide started out as a as just a free show in the afternoons because everybody was so panicked by lockdown. Mm-hmm. And it, it it always starts with me crying. I don't know why, but I okay. So having been, I was shooting a show in China um, called Explore China. And we were talking at that point oh about God. doing like it was called Explore China with Hal Sparks. And they and they were using my in the Chinese version. They used my Chinese name, which is Huo Guanghao. I have my own Chinese name, Huo Guanghao. Oh, and um, so they, cool. and the character. Yeah. And um, and in and at one point I was like, we need to do Explore India. We need to do Explore fucking Europe. We need to, do, you know, I love this idea of, you know, comedic takes on these places. And that's mm-hmm. that what a dream show and super fun. Like talk soup, but not being locked into a studio at E. It smells like you know coffee and feet, and um, <laughs> it smells like yeah. my office. Right, right, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's the nice thing. You don't. It's not an upgrade. I'm just saying, E is not an upgrade of anybody's uh, guest room. So, um, so I I had been shooting that show, and I knew I'd seen these reports of what was effectively what would become COVID nineteen spreading across the country, and mm-hmm. it was bad. Jesus. And I and I had you know, people on our crew had had family members that just keeled over. It was gnarly reports. Yeah, people were before China started wiping the video from the internet of it. There were people just dropping dead in the street mm-hmm. because they couldn't breathe, and it was just awful. And I knew there's no way to keep a disease like that from spreading in any real sense. But I was like, if you can just keep away from it, it might pass. It might you know the envelope of it might pass as you. So I came back. From filming there, I've been going for like I do a month of filming and I come back and then I do a month of filming and then I'd come back mm-hmm. and I came back for Christmas 2019 and I told everybody on my radio show over Christmas I did it from my dad's house because we were there for the holidays I was like look if you feel sick stay home cough into your elbow wash your hands like crazy and don't touch your eyes if you shake hands with anybody because what's coming o- what's over there is coming over here mm-hmm. and it fucking like clockwork it hit us yeah and I. Right before the, when they announced we were going to have the lockdown, my girlfriend and I, uh, we had our house, uh, she had her house in Vegas. Um, and uh, we, you know, 
were like planning on building this place that we were in. We were already in the process. We'd signed off on all the paperwork and we were going to build a big, you know, this, the house that I'm in now, mm-hmm. a bigger space for my son and her son to live with us and all be together. And we were going to lock down, you know, during lockdown, we we're going to all get together, just stay together for the lockdown part of it, which everybody was like six weeks, four yeah. weeks. So I was like, and I was like, no fucking way. It's going to be months. No way because of what I'd seen over there. And on my way back, I drove to LA, picked up a bunch of shit from my house there and came back. And I was like, uh, I was on the five uh, or sorry. Yeah. I was on the 15 and I was driving back and I just started to be aware of what was going to be the cost of this, the the death toll. I I just knew what was going to happen. I knew Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of dead. There was just no way. And I pulled over on the side of the road and I just started crying because I just knew this is going to be awful. Just Jesus. Yeah. more than people are aware. Because like I said, I'd seen it over there and, and it was coming. And, and then I went, I had a big, I had a good, just like cathartic sob. And then I, when I was done, you know, you get to that ebb, the end of it. And I go, okay, now what? What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And I went, well, the thing I can do is I know it's not going to get everybody. We're going to get through this as bad as it can be. It will not be the end because the Spanish flu wasn't, the Black Plague wasn't. We'll get through this. We will. And so I just decided I'll be the voice of of comfort and balance, truth in that moment where, mm-hmm. you know, take precautions, but don't panic. And that's valid. You know what I mean? You're, like, you're the one person on the plane when it has landed in the water and you're trying to get everybody out the door without trampling each other. I was like, that person is valuable. And the amazing and thing, gonna, Hal, is that's intrinsic to who you are. It doesn't sound like it's a conscious decision. Like, I'm going to mold myself into this thing. You're walking mm-hmm. into it with that already prepared as part of who you are, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe, I've always believed that, like, comedy is a service industry anyways. You know, that's why I don't yeah. believe there are any bad crowds. Anybody who's like, you know, to me, if a comic says, oh, it's a tough crowd, I'm like, that's like a massage therapist saying, <laughs> I can't do anything, you're too tense. Exactly right, yeah, yeah. Fuck you, get to rubbing, dum-dum, that's why I'm here. <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> and uh, that, you know, and and so I feel like that's my gig in mm-hmm. life. It's it, and it's a blessing to be able to do it. It's not. And again, I don't really my ego's pretty goddamn strong. So I don't seek approval from the audience in front of me. I yeah. seek approval internally from doing what I'm doing. Well, mm-hmm. laughter is a good way of knowing that you're doing it right, because that's the measure in in comedy. In this show, in Mega World, you know, in, in House Parks Mega Worldwide, the the idea, you know, grew into the way I know it's a success is the more people that come up and say, on the one hand, I inform them and I make them feel better. If I can do both of those in parallel, that's a success. The yeah. show is a success, and I have so many people who are like borderline suicidal. It seems about these things who come up to me and give me a hug or at sexy liberal shows or on the street or whatever, and it's just I, I like that part. Uh, it just makes my heart swell. I don't know mm-hmm. that it's an act. Like, I don't recognize it as like even something that I feel gratitude for. Like, thanks very much for telling me that. Cause it's, it's more like just that sense of like accomplishment, which is a great feeling. Yeah. Very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what was the motivation behind doing two shows a day? Because, my God, mm. man. I mean, going every day <laughs> is, a, is a chore. God, I sound like I'm a thousand years old. My God, man. Why um, would you want to do? Oh, that just, you, you kids, you're running all over the place. Why, you know? why don't we, oughta, why don't we walk down and fuck them all? You know, right? Uh, is, that the, uh, that, is that the idea? <laughs> right. Um, uh, I, but two, I'll, I mean, two I'll shows a day, why. that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, part of it was is because I found myself on occasion getting into the philosophical, ethical, and moral conversations around some of these breakout moments from the clips that eclipsed the rest of the show. Like mm -hmm. I could, most, I, I, look, I'm the kind of person, I could do a show where in the first three minutes of a Trump clip or something like that, I, I'll, get, I'll get enough bullshit to sift through for two goddamn hours and I can make, you know, jokes and, and talk about the, the <laughs> philosophical weight of it and all this stuff. But I would miss yep. any of the other striking moments that might be worth diving into more. So the idea was that doing a morning show was really about uh, more the philosophical end of things. And like this morning even, you know, I, I floated a couple of ideas, you know, and they're not going to be the most popular things in the world, but I think they're worth germinating on. Yeah. That, um, you know, and, and one of them being is that America's never really been, uh, has never started a war. Not ever. Mm -hmm. um, the Revolutionary War was reactionary. The Civil War was reactionary. The uh, the War of eighteen twelve was reactionary. The World War One, World War Two, even and then when you come to Vietnam and all these other things in Korea, these are police actions on behalf of other countries. We didn't take over those places afterwards. We didn't own yeah. them. Yeah. We didn't make everybody speak English. We didn't, you know, that you know it, it occurs naturally through trade, but it wasn't because we were. It was a guarantee in any sense. Whereas when Putin does it. It's the they want to wipe out Ukraine and make everybody speak Russian. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Yep. And to me, that's what starting a war is. It, to, that's the qualifications for actually starting a war. So the British started a war with with this with the colonists in the United States that became what became the United States because they wanted them to not be a free country and to claim that territory permanently for the crown. That's what a war is to me. When you declare war, you start a war. You have a war. Defending yourself is not a war. Defending yourself, you, you're in, they pulled you into a war. You're not in one. You're just defending yourself. Right. And it's a very important distinction in how we talk about stuff because we tend to have this kind of generic language about things. You know, like mm. war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Say it again. I'm like, yeah, I agree. I mean, starting a war, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Finishing a war has a lot of good reason, especially if you were the one attacked. Yep. Absolutely so, agree. Yeah, yeah. And we don't, we don't really discuss it in those terms. We just kind of have this this abject kind of broad brush idea of what that that somehow in every war both sides are culpable and both sides are uh innocent mm -hmm. it's very strange how we talk about it like if we just stop the war like okay if we just stopped the war in world war ii the Germans would have just poisoned everybody. <laughs> they would have, yeah. instead of firing on everybody, they would have just, okay, well, we got all the Jews in the camp, right? We don't really have to fight about much anymore. They're all in there. Mm -hmm. So we just got to get rid of them. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not, that, that is not uh, a reasonable reason to, uh, to call for a truce or a ceasefire, for example. And, 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 and that's why I think Chamberlain got a bad name is because, you know, he was precisely operating in that, that theater of ideas 
He was like, okay, well, I'm all right. Certainly they're rounding up a bunch of the Jews, but we don't have to see them do what, the awful. So we'll just pretend they aren't. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, yeah. And obviously with the stuff that's going on in Israel and Gaza and Russia and Ukraine and, and, and specifically the Sudan, which is where I try to draw people's attention to, because that's the forgotten stuff mm-hmm. um, that, that I think it's, it's crucial that we're aware of how we talk about stuff. Okay. Short break back with more Hal Sparks right after these words. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath and Body Products. See, Bubble Genius is a woman-owned small business proudly creating our vegan-friendly products in America and supporting other U.S. businesses by buying our ingredients and supplies from them as often as possible. Plus, you'll be hard-pressed to find packaging as recyclable as ours. Visit BubbleGenius.com and check out our cause-related items too, like our global warming soap and a lot more. We donate our proceeds for those items to worthy causes, like organizations combating climate change and mountaintop removal mining. Good stuff like that. We also send our products to the troops overseas through our Buy a Soldier a Shower campaign. Because the least we can do is keep them smiling and smelling great, right? So visit BubbleGenius.com and feel good and clean. Bubble Genius, doing our part to make the world a better place, one bathtub at a time. That's BubbleGenius.com. Do you think we're actually headed towards some sort of civil war? Uh, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but it's one of those issues, Hal, where I feel like even just discussing it kind of normalizes the idea and it should never be normalized. It's just so remarkably dumb. Yeah. Uh, Let me, let me tell you, it's fucking absurd. No. Uh, First of all, uh, you know, the, where the gravy seals and their, and the crowd (laughs) that attacked on Jan six are, are now a dissipated fighting force that never was. Yeah. And the idea that any of these assholes want to uh, knife their own tires of comfort um, and move beyond yelling at the television to some level of taking up arms against their fellow citizens in mass in any way mm-hmm. is a fucking joke. It's embarrassing. And you can tell, the, the, you know, you're talking to people who've never actually been in a fight in their life, much less seen battle. <laughs> and this goofy idea that we like again look at sudan as and the and the fighting in darfur between the nsf and the sudanese army and all that kind of stuff and understand that's what a civil war is the yemenis and the houthis fighting about that's what a civil war is there is no fucking way you get americans who just got their the cost of their insulin cut to 35 dollars max out a month or you know or or you know arguing about what the best show on streaming services is are eventually going to fucking 
follow Glenn Beck or the Daily Wire or Tucker Carlson or even <laughs> Elon Musk yeah. into fighting their fellow citizens when uh, when there's a football game this weekend? Are you fucking nuts? <laughs> right. We have a we have a functioning society. Yeah. And my concern is never going to be that there's any kind of civil war happening. The problem we have it will always be rando lone wolf lonely assholes who think that they through showing their fealty to some ideology or to Donald Trump himself mm. will pop off and shoot six or 10 people. And, and there'll be a little mini network of those folks who try to do that stuff. And it will, it will, it will be impotent murder, which is the worst kind. Yep. Like this idea that they're killing for some greater cause that doesn't even benefit them. And ultimately, it doesn't change a fucking thing except the lives of the families of the people they killed and themselves if they don't dust themselves off. Because a lot of these motherfuckers do that. They they kill a bunch of people and they go, this is not a video like a video game at all. This is kind of sad. And then they shoot themselves. Um, so that those people worry me more than anything else. And yeah. the talk about civil war kind of gives those folks a little bit of like, ah, oh, it's coming. There, you know, we had a bunch of, you could argue that uh, Timothy McVeigh and his love of the Turner Diaries um, and his sort of white supremacist views led him to kind of believe that the great day of the rope was right around the corner and that Waco was kind of in line with that as well. That, you know, uh, never, never mind the fact that uh, at its root, the Branch Davidians were a racial colony. <laughs> You'll notice he didn't bring, he wasn't fucking Noah's arcing his way through the races in that fucking place. He was bringing in loads of white trash and making babies with them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the idea, you know, that was the root of fucking Manson. Same shit. Manson, you know how fucking stupid Charles Manson was? First of all, <laughs> yeah. he stole his whole idea. Mm -hmm. Secondly, this is where he got his idea. There was going to be a, 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 a racial, up, or there was going to be a civil, a race war. Blacks against whites. And according to Charles Manson, black people are too stupid to uh, govern themselves. So they would need some white people to run them after they wiped out all the other white people. And that the Manson family would sit like kings over the hordes of black people. This is fucking ridiculous. It's like the Jesus. more you talk about what Helter Skelter actually was, <laughs> you're like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And you know why he got... You know, he, I mean, obviously, people focus on the name Helter, Kel Helter Skelter from the song. Mm -hmm. but you know why he thought that came from the thing? Because he was fucking doped out of his mind. <laughs> of he was course. a criminal. Yeah. And it, it's, it was on the White Album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, right. It. Okay. It's the God fucking damn. White yeah. Album. It was that dumb. It's fucking mallets and it, rubber mallets and crayons with these dumb motherfuckers. <laughs> and there's... Even the Unabomber were like, he was a genius. Yeah, no. Mm. He was probably autistic, and he definitely had math skills, but he was a fucking idiot. None <laughs> of what he's talking about came true. Right. It's all horseshit. It's like mm. the same thing with Alex Jones. This, uh, this weird thing floating around, like, Alex Jones is right about everything. Alex Jones never been right about shit. <laughs> no, of course right. not. Like, he's he's as right as the Bible when it says r wars and rumors of wars. And you're like, motherfucker, when <laughs> is that never true? Yeah, yeah. You know, and in fact, that's a good segue into returning yeah. to uh, the, the content of Mega Worldwide because one of yeah. the things I'm constantly kind of dealing with, Hal, is mm -hmm. 
the idea of amplifying Donald Trump or amplifying the Daily Wire guys or amplifying right. uh, Alex Jones, and I have a very firm view on this, which is that mm-hmm. ignoring these people isn't going to make them go away. If they stopped paying attention to Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Rachel Maddow or anyone else, would that be good news or bad news for us? That would be, of course, overwhelmingly good news, because then we could do right. what we need to do without having right. to constantly swat down this bullshit from the Republicans. So what is your view on, uh, you know, because the content of your show is playing a lot of this stuff and reacting to it. What is your view on that? I mean, there's absolute value to doing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I also believe that Donald Trump is incapable of feeling shame, Mm -hmm. but he's easily embarrassed. Yeah. And that is his Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. And what you have to do with these folks, because they don't fear being yelled at. As a matter of fact, they think this is the troll mentality. If I make you angry and make you flip out and make you all, if you're saying shit online, like, oh my God, I'm exhausted with the daily, this bullshit and that kind of stuff. If you get angry at them, they think that's a win yeah. because they have this kind of troll mentality that that's the overall goal. If I could just wear them down and scare them, that makes them fears better than respect. Donald Trump has even floated this idea a couple of times recently, and that's and he genuinely means it. That's why he thinks Orban's fucking great, which is hilarious because <laughs> I just showed on my show that Orban just told the parliament in Hungary to speed up Sweden's acceptance into NATO, which is fucking hilarious considering Trump's video this week. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that... He can take criticism. He really can. He, he feeds off it because no press is, you know, uh, all press is good press, that idea. Yeah. But mockery, making fun of him, <laughs> pointing out the lame points, the missed points, the failures, all that stuff, um, is, is it, it like, it wrecks him. It's very upsetting. And here's the great part about that, is that it, he sets himself up for this criticism. Sometimes, I'm sure you hear this, why don't you criticize Joe Biden? Why don't you criticize the Democrats? Okay, because none of the Democrats, first of all, Joe Biden has a stutter and has never in his fucking life Mm -hmm. said, I have all the best words. (laughs) Right. The The minute you say, I have all the best words. Every comedian worth their fucking salt should go, this is going to be good. All right, all I got to do is follow this dumb fuck around until he misspeaks because everybody does, but not everybody says, I have the best words. The, The other thing is, I know the best people. All right. Well, the minute one of this fucker, like the minute video comes out of this shithead with Jeffrey Epstein, all bets are off. Like, so... It, it, uh, one of the crucial things about what made Inspector Clouseau as a character really funny mm. is that is not that he's bumbling and that he misspeaks and he's kind of makes these like outlandish, ridiculous connections and he's just a relatively bad detective. It's that he's an asshole about it. That <laughs> he is totally full of himself and he thinks he's winning when he's losing and it's and it and he's just a dick. And what's funny, when he falls down a flight of stairs, it's because he's walking around like he owns the fucking place. If he just did it, if Mr. Bean falls down a flight of stairs in in, in an American version, it's sad. Because mm-hmm. he's just kind of this quiet, bumbly weirdo. But Mr. Bean in the British uh, show is an asshole. And so that's why it's funny watching him you know, experience a comeuppance or an embarrassment when he gets stymied. It's funny because he's a dick. Yeah. 
it's the same wrong. reason, like, well, like it's hilarious yeah. when Biff plows into the truckload of manure that's because right. Biff is a dick and it's what comes around goes around. That's you know right. I mean? Because there's a joy in watching this. And it, it, imagine if uh, Biff had like at some point going like there'd been like a scene earlier in the movie about him being a great driver. And yeah. just being like, nobody beats Biff or some shit was his line. Yeah. And then he crashes into a manure car like that. That's Trump all the time. Uh-huh. He's constantly going, I, I have the best diet in the world and getting a mouthful of cow turds. That's that's what he is. And so when he sets that bar that high, it's so, comedically, it's almost too easy, which is the unfortunate part. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it, it puts a big fucking target on your back is what it does because the whole world, you know, wants to take the grandiose and the pompous down. And so it, uh, mockery is key yeah. to handling him. I don't, yeah. I don't fear showing anything he says because <clears throat> as a matter of fact, all right, I have often said that the problem with sex and violence in the movies is that there's, n- there's not enough violence there's not enough violence. People are like, there's too much violence. In the movie. No, there's just enough violence to make it sexy and keep you wow, separated from yeah, the pain. Yeah, There's just enough violence. Mm-hmm. People get shot and fall over. Maybe they, you know, they just drop and it's over and whatever. But there's no secondary, like the stuff you see in an emergency room where somebody's like clinging to life and turning blue and mm-hmm. the life is seeping out of them. And then another person and another and another. Because when violence happens like that, that's what it's like. Yeah, and, yeah. And so it's not attractive at all. It turns people off. Okay. Well, in the case of Donald Trump, there's this assumption, and I've seen it happen all the time, that when they use a crazy clip, something bullshit, like the Nikki Haley clip this week, <laughs> when they show it on the news, there's sort of a psychological assumption that the rest of the speech was fine, that this little piece happened, mm-hmm. but the rest of it was like a normal speech. And it wasn't. It was all shit. Yeah. Like, that was the peak of a giant pile of, of fucking triceratops shit you know like that is one big pile of shit it was just the turd at the very top yeah. it's the rest of it was just as bad and so to me there is value in showing all of it because it eliminates that illusion mm-hmm. that the rest of it was sort of fine and see, he's taking advantage of that. He knows that yes. no cable news show, no matter how long they're on the air, can cover everything that he's talked about at a rally. Right. It's a gish gallop of bullshit. Right. It's just a <laughs> yeah. gish gallop of crazy nonsense. Yeah. And he's he's assuming, by the way, he tried it after the Nikki Haley uh, gap, is that he tried to say like some fairly violent shit on Truth Social mm. to try to draw attention away. Like maybe this will eat the And it's it's a strategy. It works. Eat the strategy, but say something like we should get out of NATO. He released that get out of NATO video. Mm-hmm. Half of that was just to cover the Nikki Haley shit, thinking that people would go, oh, that's fucking serious. We got to go look at this. And they'd play that video or talk about that rather than the fact that he said Nikki Haley four times when he was trying to say Nancy Pelosi and he couldn't get her fucking name out of his mouth. <laughs> like he was like when he talked about the oranges of All COVID. Right. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Uh-huh. So what he and and um. It, by the way, uh, for the who's at home, it's a great, um, you know, it it won't keep people from going back through your old shit and sifting through. But it's a great way to bury a mistake is if you just do a if you if you say something, to your Twitter uh, or whatever, it comes across wrong or whatever. Just 
dump a bunch of shit, articles, all kinds of stuff, just <laughs> yeah. anything, just feed stuff, go find articles and go, look at this, and yeah. just fill your fucking feed and bury oh that thing. Yeah, yeah, you know what, it, that's a well-worn strategy in terms of dealing with network executives, if you're doing a TV series or something like that. I'm yeah. sure you've done this before, where you put into a script something that's really obnoxious that you don't give a shit about, so they're yeah. focused on that thing, and then you get away with all kinds of other shit in the script that you actually really wanted okay. in the thing. You know so, what I mean? So that comes from, I believe it was Michelangelo. Yeah. Um, where he had a he had a process um, called uh, hair on the knuckles, where he had to do these to for patronage. He had to do these royal portraits, mm -hmm. and he would do these royal portraits, and he fucking hated them because these <laughs> fat inbred sweaty assholes would want to look like heroes and he was painting these photorealistic paintings of them yeah. and he was like these fucking assholes they always want me to fucking can you fix my neck can you fix my <laughs> eyes can you fix my make my hands you know look more manly or put more muscles on my shoulders and 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 uh and he was just sick of it so at one point apparently he added hair to the knuckles of <laughs> of all the paintings when he would do it, he would just add a little extra knuckle hair. <laughs> and 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 they would all notice it because their hands would be fairly prominent. Mm. And and they would always go, oh, it's great. Yes, it looks great. Can you take down the knuckle hair a little bit? Because the assumption wow. was is that his were photorealistic. My yeah. knuckles must be the hairiest fucking things in the world. And they would look down at their hands <laughs> like, ugh. And, and he would go, absolutely. And he would, by doing them that favor, they wouldn't want any other changes. That's incredible. I had no idea that was the origin of that technique. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. yeah. So it's it, it's hair on the knuckles. You add something that's so outrageous, you know they're going to fixate on And you even fight for it a little bit. You yeah. just kind of go, but I think this works or whatever. And they'll leave all your other nuggets of shit that are too, super important to you alone. Yeah, um, I, wrote, I wrote a sketch for my VH1 show, which you played yourself on uh, 20 years ago. I wrote a sketch right. where I used the word cock 54 times in the sketch. <laughs> and I got away with it because I put something else really super obnoxious in that script. And everyone at uh -huh. VH1 was zeroed in on that one obnoxious thing and I got away with saying cock 54 times in a, in a three minute sketch That's how you you know do it. I mean? it's, and it's good to have a goal like that too. yeah it's yeah, amazing yeah. That, I gotta by the say way, cock yeah. a lot of times yeah yeah it, I mean it's it's interesting it's one of the um it, it's one of the perfect comedy words that I mm -hmm. very rarely use yeah because it's got two cuz in it you yeah. know and mm -hmm. it's uh and it's naughty and uh it's it, it can be used innocently for a bird yeah. so that, you know, that, Oh yeah. That, well, that's mean, what I that's, did. Yeah. Yeah. That's a winner. That's yeah, a, yeah. that's a way you can, Oh, that's <laughs> a perfect way to skate around the, and the more Christian, the person who's, uh, you know, the sensor is the easier it is to get past them. Got <laughs> three times. Ah, ah. Right. Yeah, and I did it. But the context for me was it, it was a sketch that was the premise of it was it's a celebrity reality competition show called Celebrity Cockfighting, where you get two celebrities dressed up like cocks and they fight each other in a ring, and and so consequently you get to say cock a bunch of times, and you can see this right. guy's cock and yeah. Tommy Lee's cock and Colin Farrell's right. cock, and just right. it was yeah, it was a bonanza of cock. So anyway, uh -huh. but yeah, speaking of words, I, I'm dying to ask you this and. Before we wrap up, I want to make sure I get this in because this has been sort of this uh, this thing that we've been trying to unravel on my podcast for a couple of weeks now. And I feel like you, more than anyone else, will know the answer to this question. Sure. Trump keeps referring to Nikki Haley as Nimbra. 
and no one can tell me what the hell that is outside of obviously being a you know a dog whistle for her ethnicity but what is the what does nimbra mean what is the origin of that what is that i, I, I have a, no idea okay um on uh, it could be a confluence of things yeah, the, uh, he he likes globalist because it's code for Jew and Jew supporter, Jew lover kind of thing. Of course, this, yeah, yeah. The weird group among them. It's so very odd. Mm. But there's uh, it might be a relation, if I'm not mistaken, to a uh, a UN um, phrase. Um, uh, <laughs> the yeah. Uh, oh, and um, it, it's also is her name. Nim um, Nimrata, Nimrata. Yeah, Nimrata. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think he's just fucking up that. So I he he just... doesn't know how to say Nimrata. He so he says Nimbra. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. So fucking Dude, screwy. He, okay, let's be abundantly clear. Okay, so I yeah. What a last Friday, yeah. last Friday, mm. Biden, you know, had this meeting of these mayors or whatever, and he was fucking. He knew everybody. Jesus Christ. This guy's been in government so long. He they had mayors and mayors staff there. Where he's like, and I want to thank Jack Johnson and ha Harry uh, Lemer and and fucking you know Angela uh, Jack City and whatever. And he's just <laughs> these real people. That he's like, hey, thank you so much for being here. And then he they sang Happy Birthday to Pete Buttigieg and mm -hmm. and stuff. And then you cut to Donald Trump in New Hampshire, going. Uh, there was the chairman of the New Hampshire GOP. Now, I don't know who this person is, but you goddamn sure I would know it if I was running for the Republican nomination in that fucking state. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, and the chairman is right here. The chairman, right? Chairman, chairman, how are you? Um, and then later on, he's like, that's the situation we find ourselves, right, chairman? He couldn't remember the fucking guy's name at all. And then at one point, he goes, and our great football player over here, football player and he just calls him football, football player and i just in my in my head in my head i just pictured like i i so badly wanted somebody to just do a reverse angle shot on it and have a guy in a full football uniform just standing there helmet and all just going what the fuck why is he pointing me out you know like but he doesn't know any of these motherfuckers no he he okay he calls vivek ramaswamy vivek Ramaswamy every time, every time mm -hmm. when, when he's introducing him on stage, when he's talking about him in a second person, Ramaswamy every time. And he says it, he fades. He does this all the time. He tries to have a fake Ramaswamy. <laughs> like he tries to hide because he doesn't quite know. Yeah. So he knows he's saying it wrong. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. And so he's, he's, uh, he keeps calling him Ramaswamy. And and I guess Vivek either doesn't give a fuck or knows, you know, he can't correct him, you know, like like Sioux City and Sioux Falls. Mm -hmm. So he just lets it fucking <laughs> ride. And he did that thing with Asa Hutchinson. He called him Ada. And he was like, for reasons I don't want to tell you. I'll tell you why. Because he fucking egged it and he didn't want to go back and clean it up. So it's like when you know he does those mean? short circuits, like magnified fortune. He he retcons the yes. fuck up into something that right. he believes is actually true. And if he keeps saying it, then everyone else around him will believe that the flu well, epidemic. Qanons who yeah. think kofefe is a real fucking thing. <laughs> right. They're uh, still to this day. They yeah. think it's like a code. They think it's like a battle cry. <laughs> there are fucking people with kofefe fucking tattooed on their arm Jesus. with like seventeen seventy six for fuck's sake. Like the wow. these like he he has 
Uh, and and he's been doing this forever, by the way. Like it's like for the future and the furniture, or the furniture and the future. Remember when he <laughs> fucked those words up? Like he just yeah. acts like he meant to say both, mm-hmm. even when both makes no fucking sense. Yeah. And there are two ways to handle it: just roll through, you go uh, the furniture future. Like just fuck it, just fix the word because you misread it and whatever. But don't say furniture and future because what do you mean? What the fuck does furniture have to do with this? <laughs> now you've included it in the idea. Explain that to me. Like you don't never never do that. If you misspeak, just either fucking roll past it and people go, "Did you, you said furniture?" Like oh, I meant future. I must have been thinking about blah blah blah. <laughs> and, and leave it because everybody will go, "Yeah, that happens to me," and you're done. But furniture and future is actually. Like, I, it's all, I meant to do that. I, it's always, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. And the issue with that is, again, that sets you up for for mockery because that's the same thing with the best words and the best people and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You can, I'm incapable of making mistakes is the, fu- that's why people watch videos of cats falling off of shit. <laughs> because, right. they, because people with cats know they can be assholes. Exactly. <laughs> God, watch- that's such a great metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, that's why. So yes, he mispronounced uh, her name and then just fucking left it. Yeah, and, I'm gonna go with and it. People, yeah. yeah. If a Democrat did that, it would be racist. Mm-hmm. Period. It's yeah. a foreign-sounding name, and you're trying to draw attention to their foreign-sounding name, and you're fucking up pronouncing their foreign-sounding name. You're an asshole, mm-hmm. and rightly so. That's a reasonable response, especially yeah. if you keep at it, right? Like Biden's going to mispronounce somebody's name occasionally, but he's not going to do it on purpose. And he's not going to go, well, I guess you're going to have to change your name now because I I changed your name. It's now pronounced this asshole. Like, and that's the way Trump is. Yeah, yeah. Trump is like, your name is now Dingbat because I will call you that forever. (laughs) Right. You know, my favorite three act play from the last uh, week or so was Donald Trump saying Nikki Haley instead of Nancy Pelosi. Then Uh. Elise Stefanik going on television and saying, oh, he meant to do that because of something, something Democrats voting in New Hampshire. And then the next night, Donald Trump gets up at one of his rallies and says, Elise Stepanek. Instead of yeah. Stefanik. Oh. So it's like, yeah, live he by fucks the derp, up. die yeah. by the derp. Exactly yeah. right. So she's trying to help him out. And the very next night, he fucks her over by mispronouncing her last name so profoundly he, poorly. Yeah. Just he like, fell asleep on stage when Tim Scott <laughs> was endorsing him. Yep. He dozed <laughs> off standing up. While Tim Scott was there, like, look at the first video of Tim Scott endorsing him when he comes out. And Trump does the whole, like, eyes glazing and going shut. (laughs) And then that little tip backwards, like you're on a subway and you've just, like, really fucking tired. And you almost fall asleep on, and you do that head jerk kind of thing. He does one of those (laughs) in the middle of Tim Scott, who's giving, like, the loudest, uh, you know, like, Trump praise style uh, endorsement that he's had, right? Mm -hmm. Because... Tim's, and by the way, I'd like to congratulate Tim Scott on marrying his Canadian girlfriend who's totally real. Um, boy, is that fucking weird. Yeah, up in Niagara Falls. All the, sure. It's so fucking weird. But yeah. hey, dozed off in the middle of it. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, so expect more of that because, again, they're they're painted into a corner. Yeah. Let's, let's be abundantly clear. Statistically speaking, it is impossible for Donald Trump to win the election this time just Period, because there's a quarter of of Republican voters who are just not going to vote for him. Whether they vote for Donald Trump, probably split even. I mean, vote for uh, Joe Biden is probably 
evenly split, split, but they're either going to vote for Biden or they're not going to vote at all. They're not voting for Trump. And one-to-one Democrats have more registered voters than Republicans. If we even get close to normal turnout, like Obama-level turnout, it's going to be a fucking slaughter. And Why they- are the Republicans whizzing on the electric fence, Hal? Well, I mean, knowing all of the downsides of nominating Donald Trump, why are they doing it again? Because they fear his base. They used to oh, fear him. Yeah. They used to fear him. He used to have the ability to, like, ruin people's careers. He doesn't anymore. Um, but his base is fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's just be abundantly clear. Yeah, like, of course. Uh, that, of course. That, that lone wolf aspect of things, it's a genuine fear. The judges in his cases, the jurors, the fucking... Uh, prosecutors, witnesses, all of are constantly getting death threats. The anybody who votes the wrong way gets fucking death threats. If fucking MTG has gotten maggot death threats because she supported McCarthy for fuck's sake. These, you know, that's the concern. Mm-hmm. It's not, and and they're hoping that at some point, well, I voted for him. Yeah, it's not my fault he lost. Because that's the other thing is you're going to see a bunch of these people tacking to support him when they know he's going to lose just to protect themselves from Trump's followers. That they were with him to the very end, even though he lost the election. They could blame it on somebody else. But I supported him in the election. That's a way of, you know, protecting yourself. I think that's what they're doing. It seems like a movement that's so geared around, I mean, exclusively geared around the idea of winning. Because it used to be that you you would try to win with dignity. You would try to win in a way that would make you seem like you were righteous, right? Righteous victory. And now they've just canned that, the second half of that. It's just all about winning. It doesn't matter how they win. It doesn't matter if it's illegal. It doesn't matter if it's criminal. I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because they don't have, it's not about policy. Exactly. You used to win out of dignity because you needed it by winning uh, in dignity and being able to work across the aisle. You could get the necessary votes that we needed to pass an actual policy. The Republicans have not been about they haven't been about policy since Reagan said the government mm-hmm. was the problem. So ever since then, they have moved away from creating policy that would actually change things to trying to just shut down shit that exists. Yeah. They're just trying to tourniquet what they view as big government. On some on behalf of their like kind of misguided fiscal conservative bullshit that they sell themselves about every other uh, term. It depends on who's in office. And, th- and a bunch of them, you know, very well could be just favoring the dictators of the world and hoping that America gets, you know, low enough on the rung that they can make investments in other countries and those countries will reward them with that kind of shit. That wouldn't be surprising at all. But ultimately, it's because they're not fighting over policy. They're fighting over control of the the pen, essentially. Not, you know, if, you, if you're fighting with dignity, you want that's your effort, at least, to bring people on board with a policy you think is functional and mm-hmm. will work and is superior to the other idea. They have abandoned that. Yeah. And, they, and, and nothing made it clearer than Sarah Palin followed by Donald Trump. <laughs> right. They've just totally, they just fucking ditched the idea of actually having any policies worth a fuck. It's all reactionary. Mm-hmm. It's, you know... And again, <laughs> you can't it used to be that liberal and conservative were the gas and the brake of American politics. Sometimes you need a little gas, sometimes you gotta tap the brakes. And that's okay. That's what real bipartisanship should yeah. be about. And not everybody is the same is liberal about the same things that uh, that their li- other liberal friends are liberal about. They might be conservative about a couple of things. There's we all tap the brakes and hit the gas in different areas of our lives. And what we try to find in a democracy is consensus. But these folks ha- are have have fooled themselves into believing that uh that liberals have gone all gas for whatever reason Mm -hmm. since since medicare i think essentially yeah and that they and their only recourse is to be all break 
Yeah, Every, that makes no sense. Immigrants, yeah, no yeah. women's rights. Mm. No, like no affirmative action. No DEI. No getting like anything. These assholes are trying. Absolutely not. Shut it the fuck down. Yeah, and because they're a hundred percent brave. They're the party and no, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell being the Grim Reaper, you know, uh, because he was you know overseeing like the death of all legislation because they there's no reason to pass any legislation. Look at these motherfuckers in the border, which mm-hmm. I think is just gorgeous. Yeah, the Biden administration has played these suckers for fools. And this is one of the most, this will go down as one of the most masterful acts of legislative timing in American history. Because right now, Republicans are fucked. If they vote for the immigration reform bill, they have to say, we worked with the Biden administration. It was a bipartisan bill between Democrats and Republicans. And under Joe Biden, it actually got signed. The first immigration bill in 30 fucking years. He got an infrastructure bill and he got this. Jesus Christ, this guy actually is a president for all Americans. They have to admit that. Mm -hmm. Or they vote against it. And then they have to go, wait, you you, you passed up funding border security to benefit Vladimir Putin because you don't want Ukraine aid. That's you're more invested in Vladimir Putin being able to expand his borders than you are in protecting our own Mm. that they are painted into a corner by this. And there is just no way out. That's why they're freaking out. That's why Chip Roy and Marjorie Taylor Greene are like screaming all over the place. There is no exit. And the Biden administration and the Democrats, Schumer, everybody set them up. Just fucking brought in Lankford and all these guys. And went, hey, let's do some fucking border shit. And they're going to give them more than people think to get this thing across the finish line. And it and it's not going to it's not going to harm asylum seekers in any meaningful way. We will still have a functioning system in place. It is not going to be the racist policies of Donald Trump. And it'll be a plan that's set in place that on a legislative level, you would have to have a super majority to fuck with even if he got back in office or another Republican got back in office in the next 10 years. Yeah. And they know it. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And in fact, there's a a convergence happening with the economy too, between the messaging of the Biden campaign and the actual economy. Uh, There's just all these factors playing into what I am foreseeing now is yeah. Yeah. A a pretty solid Biden victory in November. Knock on wood. No question. Yeah. And and the maggots being, and and on this uh, final note, because I know we're running out of time, but like the number of maggots, (laughs) <laughs> saying but Joe Biden ruined the economy and inflation is killing me, who are at a football game in $250 seats <laughs> and drinking an $8 beer and, you know, and <laughs> like, and they're going to the, the, another one next fucking week. Uh, they're like, motherfucker, you think you're broke right now? <laughs> We're here. You're better off now than you were four years ago? Because I, I got news for you, buddy. Four years ago, there were no football games at mm-hmm. all. None. That's right. There were no baseball. There was no hockey. There was no fucking anything. Mm-hmm. So, and that'll be the talk too. All this summer, like, hey, remember November, the last year of Trump's presidency? Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Oh, yeah. you goddamn right you are. Yep, yep. Uh, well, yeah. holy shit, man. So much. Uh... Other than that, I have no opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, uh, Nerd Halen's still going strong? Yes, we're playing LA Kings Fest. Um, I think it's February 10th. It's coming up. And then... Um, uh, and of course, Sexy Liberal is going back out on the road. Our next date is in March. Uh, awesome. February 9th will be the next um, uh, Ultimate Jam Night. We're doing a uh, melodic rock. It's going to be a good time. I gotta, awesome. I gotta get you in town for one of those, my friend. We oh gotta, fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, and what else? And then I've got a show this afternoon, and 
you know, Monday through Friday afternoons, three o'clock, except Thursday, I do at four o'clock because I have family FaceTime. So I bump it an hour because that was in existence before my show was. Yeah, so I yeah. kept that there for the rest of the fam. Um, Still infotainmentwars.com. Absolutely. And twitch.tv slash Hal Sparks. You know, I'm like any site. I got a Facebook page and and I'm airing on Instagram now. Like I just bring the show where people are. I don't, you know, I'm the idea of being tied to one of these sites and then it goes yeah. down and you're screwed. Yeah. yeah. Is it challenging to get the show up on all these different platforms or is there a pretty convenient way to get that done? I use, well, there's a couple of complications. Right, this I use is a loaded question. Sorry, but yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I use Restream, which allows, and there's StreamYard and a couple other things. Uh, also, Stream Labs, uh, mm -hmm. which is another way of using OBS. That has a multi-streaming factor on it. And you could do usually three or four for free or at whatever their main low-level paid subscription, which is what I do. Um, and now it does Instagram. And so I was able to, you know, implement that because it was really complicated. But I have to change the, like... The login cred every show, which is like fucking, oh, I mean, fuck. again, that's the, if that's the hardest part of my day, whatever. Like yeah, I have to, yeah. I have to go to another computer and bring it up because that's all on my laptop. And then I have to like send it via my notion, like cut and paste it and put it in here and then cut and paste it and put another thing. I'm like, this is <laughs> in this day, it's 2024. And this is, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. basically like coding in the afternoon twice a day. <laughs> but again, so fucking what it, it adds another yeah. outlet for me and and basically i just throw my show up wherever people are because mm. i think you're better off growing the audience for what you ultimately do than trying to drag everybody to twitch or youtube or facebook yeah. or one yeah. particular place and go everybody come over to this thing because i'm not i don't work for facebook or youtube or twitch or any of these sites i, I it's my show and and it's and you just the audience gets to pick where they want to go. But you mm. know what I mean? It's like if I only performed at one chain of comedy uh, clubs or fucking was a Live Nation artist or something. It it just it's a scary proposition. It feels very limiting. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, if you want to know how to do it, <clears throat> I, I can give a master class on it. At this point, I've made every <laughs> okay. possible mistake yeah. you could. Uh, I've been, I've been to like that, web yeah. school. Yeah, but absolutely. <laughs> Anytime you, you, you want to, you want to run down, I'll build you a fucking rig. I could, I could build a fucking streaming rig and an output and, and like channel setup with like backgrounds and all the shit that I do for my show. I make these all myself because that's another like way I can get tactically, like have a hands-on kind of approach to yeah, the show instead yeah. of it just going out into the ether. You could do a I whole business that for, like that. I mean, you could have a whole consulting firm based dude, around could, setting I, people up with these kinds of shows. Yeah, absolutely. But I have to get like a million subscribers first right, or everybody right. will think I'm not taking it seriously. Now, again, <laughs> I have the same engagement. I have 63,000 subscribers on YouTube right now, Incredible. And which is a really low number compared to a bunch of other people. But interestingly yeah. enough, I have the same engagement as, as accounts that have 5 million fucking subscribers. How mm -hmm. the fuck does that work? How are there as many people watching my shit as as you know other than obvious the obvious answer is they buy their views and they buy their supporters yes and not real people that's a thing they, yeah people lock they lock them in and then people just leave the subscription they don't even bother to go mm -hmm. but i'm you know it's it's pretty one-to-one -one. and it's it's nice to watch it grow i'm on a what i call a, the 100k kick which is i'm trying to get 100,000 youtube subscribers and 100,000 people on the facebook page i've got over 100,000 on my youtube on my instagram and my uh, tw Twitter, the shitter page. And then I need a, a, a thousand, uh, Twitch followers. So I'm trying to get, that's, I set a goal for myself to the, that next ladder step. You know what I mean? That's, that's to me, that's being the feature act. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Get to get to feature act level, level mm. and then start eating everybody's fucking lunch. <laughs> well, thank you for hour 19 you. of your broadcast day today, Al. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I'll friend. be doing probably two and a half hours later on tonight. Yeah. No question. Sounds so, great. Well, we'll uh, talk to you cheers. again next time, my friend. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Down around the corner, half a mile from here, you see them all trains running, and you watch them disappear without love. Where would you be now without love? You know, I saw Miss Lucy down along the tracks. She lost her home and a family, and she won't be coming back without love. And the Southern Central Friends